0: Hey, hey, it's Tuesday, August 25th, and another great edition of 10,000 Pitches. I am so excited for you to hear my interview with current University of Minnesota women's soccer assistant coach, and former Sky Blue FC and U.S. Youth Women's International player, Maya Hayes. A great, great conversation with her about what's going on currently with the Big Ten and fall sports being postponed to spring. Yes, women's soccer is one of those. So the team, the gopher soccer team, gopher women's soccer team specifically, is directly affected by that. You know, I talked to Maya about that process and how things have gone. And then we're also going to talk about her career. Her time with the U.S. Youth Women's National Team, her time at Sky Blue FC, and what she thinks about the current state of the NWSL. Coming off the Challenge Cup, a few big names departing the NWSL to go play overseas ahead of next year's Olympics, and also the league's expansion, too, and what she thinks about all of that when it comes to the league. So, great, great conversation coming up a little bit later on. But first, I want to tell you about our friends and the first ever sponsor of 10,000 Pitches, Stimulus Athletic. Jason, Charlene, and everybody at Stimulus have been so awesome during the process of designing and putting out our 10K kit. This is the first piece of merchandise that's attached to the 10,000 Pitches podcast, and we couldn't be more proud to be teaming up with Stimulus to help get it to you. When I thought about creating merchandise and creating a soccer jersey associated with this podcast, a lot of stress was involved in that in terms of everything I would need to do. inventory keeping track of orders, keeping track of shipping, did not want to do any of that. Stimulus has taken care of the whole thing. They set up the online store, they're taking on the inventory, and they're shipping out the jerseys directly to the people who buy them. It has been awesome. And they can do the same for your club or your team. If you're a soccer team, baseball team, basketball team, ultimate Frisbee team, looking to outfit your club and upgrade your look this season, look no further than Stimulus Athletic. They're based right here in Minnesota, Minneapolis to be exact and they have helped the likes of Minneapolis City SC, FC Buffalo, and if you wanna go with another local team, a Ultimate, Ultimate Frisbee, uses Stimulus Athletic as well. Whether you have a jersey design in mind, you know, maybe you have a designer, or maybe you're, you're good with that sort of stuff yourself, and you've come up with the design you want, you just want somebody to make and distribute the jerseys for you, totally fine. You, they can do that. But if you're starting from scratch, Stimulus has an amazing design team that can actually help you come up with the exact look you are looking for with your jerseys, pants, warmups, backpacks, t-shirts, so many other things that can help you develop and distribute and get out there for your club. So go to stimulusathletic.com and click the design tab and just fill out this little form. It's a quick, easy five, six questions. You don't need to prep ahead of time to just more like get to know you type stuff, who you are, what kind of team you're outfitting, what exactly you're looking for. And then within 48 hours, that's at least what, what happened with me. Charlene got in contact with me within 48 hours. i me filling out that form. And, and the same could be for you. It's a quick turnaround. It's an easy process and they are patient as well. So Go to StimulusAthletic.com. Like I said, click that design tab. Tell them Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you. And also, if you would like to buy the 10K kit and you're a listener of 10,000 Pitches, use promo code 10 kfam 10K kfam 10KFAM, at checkout, and you'll save 10 bucks on the 10K kit, courtesy of the fine folks at Stimulus Athletic. All right, here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. What's up? My name is Jeremy Rushing, and if you would like to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, if you haven't already, please do. Please hit that subscribe button, whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, PodMN, Overcast. Google podcasts. We're available on so many different platforms. So whatever platform you prefer to listen on, uh, maybe if this is your first time checking us out, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It helps us rank higher. And of course you'll get notified anytime we drop a new episode of 10,000 pitches. This is episode 16 of 10,000 pitches. So very, very thankful for everybody who's, you know, whether you've listened to now all 16 episodes or whether you're a first time listener, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to follow us on the socials, we are at 10K Pitches, One Zero k Pitches on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And one more thing about podcast platforms, if you'd like to leave us a review, please do that. Five stars, four stars, three stars, whatever your, you know, honest feelings are about the podcast, please leave us that feedback, make it constructive, you know, leave us some actual feedback. Don't just leave us a rating. Actually tell us what you think about the podcast, because if there is something constructive, there is there something you want to see more of, or something you want to see maybe adjusted about this podcast, or maybe you think that we can improve in some, you know, specific aspects, you know, let me know. I want to hear all that feedback. It helps make me better as a podcast host and helps make 10,000 pitches a much better podcast and product as we move along here. Again, we're only 16 episodes in, so very, very uh, infant when it comes to our podcast here. So a lot of room to improve and a lot of time to do that. So please leave us your honest feedback. That'll help us, uh, you know, hopefully make this podcast as good as it can possibly be by the time we hit, let's say, 16 more episodes. Um, Today... Not much insights or opinions or anything like that regarding Minnesota United and their 2-1 to loss to Sporting Kansas City on Friday night. I was there, as was Jacob Schneider from E Pluribus Lunum. He will join me on Thursday, as will E Pluribus Lunum's Eli Hoff. The band is all back together on Thursday's episode. Jacob, Eli, and I will discuss everything Minnesota United. And Eli also may have a big Academy update coming down the pike, too to uh, tell us about on Thursday's episode so all things Minnesota United coming in our little roundtable on Thursday but today I am very very excited for you to hear my chat with Maya Hayes she is the current University of Minnesota women's soccer coach she is the former Sky Blue FC and U.S. Women's Youth National Team player so a lot of talk about her career Her background, her history, a lot of good stories from her, but also we're talking about all things Big Ten and their decision to postpone the fall season into spring and kind of how they got the news, if they had any indication that that news was coming and what their plans are now moving forward into the fall with no season. Uh, to look forward to. And then we're also going to talk about, I think one of my favorite parts of this interview was as an alum of the NWSL, I really wanted to get her take on the current state of the league coming off the challenge cup, a super big platform. And I think that league delivered and Maya agrees. And she goes more in depth on that talk about, you know, how things look heading into later 2020 and into 2021 Uh, you know, the expansion with Louisville Angel City and now Sacramento being announced as, a, as expansion teams or Sacramento, I guess, reported, not officially announced yet as the next expansion club for the NWSL. Um, and then, of course, the big names moving across the pond to England, Rose Lavelle going to Manchester City, Tobin Heath and others moving to Manchester United. You know what she thinks about that and how that affects the current and future state of the league as we head into another international cycle right we have the we have the olympics coming next year then 2023 is the next world cup so very very excited for you to hear that conversation and you know what let's get to it right now here's maya hayes all right i now have the pleasure to be joined by university of minnesota assistant coach and former sky blue fc and u.s youth women's international player maya hayes maya thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me
1: thanks for having me jeremy i appreciate it
0: of course. Uh, so you were named Gopher Assistant Coach on July 1st. From what it looks like, you're, you're currently in Minnesota, right? You're on campus?
1: Yes. Yes, I am.
0: Okay. When did you actually officially make the move?
1: Uh, middle of July. So it's been actually three days ago, I think would have been a month uh, since, I, since I've been here. Um, and it's definitely been a little bit of a whirlwind since I yeah. got here. But um, now I've been appreciating the experiences thus far.
0: I know you've been busy with the team and we're in the middle of a quarantine but have you yes. gotten a chance to venture out a little bit see the sights kind of take in the the minnesota culture a little bit
1: a little bit a little bit um we uh the ability to uh experience minnehaha falls
0: Ooh, we go.
1: went to um lake calhoun which i know has a different name but i don't know how to pronounce it so i'm not going to try <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um and we did we did some kayaking there And uh, we actually went to the Stone Arch Bridge, um, had dinner in that area. So we've done actually quite a bit. Yeah. As much as possible, I guess, in the short time span.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And especially considering everything else going on. It sounds like you've uh, been able to do a little bit over the last month, which is great. Absolutely. Um, we'll get into, you know, the news happening recently with the Big Ten kind of handing down their their decision to postpone uh, fall sports, which includes women's soccer. But mm-hmm. first, I want to talk about your background a little bit. Uh, you were born in New York City, am I right? Or that's where yes, you grew up? That's
1: correct. That's where, yeah. I, that's where I was born, but I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. So.
0: Okay, right, sounds I was, like, good.
1: about 45 minutes from the city
0: okay and and that whole area you know i I picture that as somebody who was born and raised in the midwest and has only been to new york city a few times uh it seems like it's like the most competitive area in the country for any sport job career yeah education
1: yeah etc
0: how early did you start playing soccer and how much do you attribute growing up in a place like new york or that area to your success not only on the field but in just in life in general
1: Honestly, um I, I was I I was probably what we would call a late bloomer in the soccer world. Um okay. and so my first sport was actually basketball. Um I started playing basketball when I was 4 in an all-boys uh league at the Y and and they were all like a year or two older than me. Okay. Um and so I I would say I'd actually probably say basketball was my first love and then oh, okay. and soccer was actually something I stumbled upon actually probably around I'd say once I was Mm, seven or eight, maybe. Okay. Um, and it's obviously started at like the township level. And mm-hmm. I really only started playing because I was a huge tomboy growing up, and all of my guy friends played soccer. And so it was kind of like the I need to fit in with everybody else type of yeah, thing. Like of I was played yeah. it at recess with them, and I thought it was really cool. <laughs> um, so I begged my mom to let me play, and who would have known? I guess twenty years later we would be sitting here, um, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it.
0: Now, were you were you running circles around him right away, or did you take did you take your lumps a little bit? How'd that go?
1: So it's funny. Like I think I actually started out playing like center back, right, right? and to be fair, in the township level at my age, we didn't even we didn't have the positions like yeah. that. Like I was playing defense. That's all I knew. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I ended up playing uh, forward or more of an attacking role is because I my favorite thing. Was to get the ball at the back, um, like in, in, I guess, yeah, in our defensive half, and dribble the entire field and score. Mm-hmm. Um, like they would try to put me up top, and I wouldn't, I, I couldn't do it because apparently I didn't have enough room to run. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, when I was super young, I, I started out playing defense, and I would just dribble the entire field, and uh, and then that naturally progressed to um, my best friend and I, who I've been best friends with since kindergarten, which I know is kind of a cool thing in and of itself. Yeah um we we played together and um kind of grew up through the soccer ranks together it was always her and i basically on whatever teams we ended up get going to up until we got to college um and then uh and actually reunited at the pro level on sky blue so that was kind of cool that's
0: crazy that's awesome.
1: um yeah it is pretty cool it's a pretty cool story there um but i remember like so i finally did embrace being the being in the attacking role and she played defense and and she could launch the ball and so she had we used to joke she had a she would call it the Maya ball and she would just launch Mm -hmm. it over the top and I would just run over run onto it and score (laughs) (laughs) so that was a lot of a lot of kickball in the beginning um obviously that got a little bit more sophisticated (laughs) as the time went on
0: definitely so in a a 10-year span you went from you know picking up the game to you know uh playing division one soccer what was the moment where you realized like oh I could actually I could actually do this like I can actually you know compete at a pretty high level in the sport
1: yeah i think i think i was to be honest i think i was even a late bloomer in that um i wasn't aware like i I had heard of our our women's national team but i wasn't even aware that there was a youth national team and i think all my focus probably around i'd say once i got to my freshman year um is when i realized like college was a real thing um Mm -hmm. i still don't think i knew to what extent i just knew i could play in college (laughs) um and and we would just see at what level, I guess, as time went on. Um, but I don't think, I think I was very naive, and probably a, which is probably a good thing, right? I, mm. I was I was pretty level-headed from the get-go yeah. about yeah. everything and didn't really have high expectations in terms of what things would turn into. But I remember like, I went into my first national, youth national team camp, I think, when I was uh, going into my sophomore year of high school. And okay. I remember, it's ironically, my best friend and I went into our first national team camps together um at the U15 level and we got the calls I think on the same day and I remember when I first got the call I had no idea like what was happening yeah (laughs) like I was like oh this sounds really cool (laughs) like you know (laughs) like like, and it's like they pay for everything they ship you out and all these things but like I had genuinely had no idea that it was even a thing and then you Mm -hmm. have kids that have been doing it forever between that and the ODP system Mm -hmm. that was um Uh, high level at the time like that was the that was the thing but I just wasn't aware of it Um, so again I think I feel like I was a a late bloomer even to to, to that to that extent
0: what was going through your mind the first time you put on a a U.S. women's national team jersey
1: I was probably very nervous (laughs) (laughs) very intimidated um and I think obviously it's just one of those things that once you get into the flow of things and you're in the environment more consistently, it's a little bit easier to uh, relax and play your game. But I will, yeah, I can definitely tell you, my first few camps I was probably a nervous wreck.
0: <laughs> definitely. Uh, and doing my research, this really stood out to me. So you competed in both the U18 or at at both the U18 and U20 levels, the kind of the higher end of the of the youth uh, women's soccer. Uh, and you competed at both the 2010 and 2012. A 21s World Cups which is Mm -hmm. awesome in and of itself but in the 2012 World Cup you had a two-game stretch where you scored a hat trick in a 4-0 win and then you scored the equalizer and would end up being a 1-1 draw against China and then in the third group stage match you guys didn't end up getting a goal unfortunately but that means you scored all but one goal for the US (laughs) in the entire group stage of that tournament and the only other goal was an own goal so really you had every goal in the group stage um, obviously you had excelled in soccer leading up to that point to be in that position. But, but how much did you surprise yourself in putting on those kind of consecutive performances on such a big stage?
1: It's it, I, I think I'm going to start to sound like a broken record. I think that um, what I will say is uh, that an experience in and of itself, I will absolutely say that the 2010 experience prepared me for the 2012 experience because mm-hmm. the 2010 experience definitely fell short of what we wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it was easy for the few of us that played both. I think it was myself, Crystal Dunn, and a couple other people. I can't remember who right now um, that were a part of that roster in 2010 that got to carry over to 2012. But um, with that being said, we kind of had that chip on our shoulders. So I will say that was definitely some added motivation going to the 2012 Mm -hmm. um, World Cup. But still I don't think I understood the magnitude don't like at the end of the day I love scoring goals (laughs) I always have and I I always will um and so that's just what that was for me um and it was just I think I appreciated the fact of being there with my teammates who I'd gone through this process with for the last two years um and us like having the success we were having um and I think that is all that was at the forefront of my mind I didn't quite realize still the like the the magnitude of scoring a world scoring a hat trick in a world cup <laughs> yeah i don't think and like how how few players actually had ever like accomplished that feat and i don't think yeah. i realized it until i i did a interview like right after that game on our off day uh with our uh, media relations um coordinator uh aaron heifetz and and he it was one of the questions that he had like he named the other people that had the only other people that had ever scored a hat trick in a World Cup, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> like you know, very few names." And I was pretty like, good company. Oh. yeah, you know, and so, and again, it just, I think, I was never, and I guess it just goes to show, like, I was never in it for the glory. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I think the glory came with everything else, which obviously I'm super grateful for. Um, but it was just out of a genuine love of the game and a genuine love of like being successful with my teammates, um, which is definitely a pretty cool little story.
0: Definitely seems like you're pretty humble about your entire uh, experience with, with, with soccer, which is, uh, which is awesome. I think that's important. So (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to your NWSL career now, you had an outstanding youth national team career and a college career at Penn state. And then you were drafted sixth overall in the 2014 NWSL draft by sky blue FC. Take me through that day and that draft process. Did you know you would be one of the top picks and how did it feel when your name was actually called?
1: Um, So I'll say this, like, I think that I feel like everything, every projection that was out there at the time, everybody around me was like, you're going to be this, you're going to be this, you're going to, and I kind of just, I tend to have um, this zero expectation yeah. kind of way about me because um, I feel like if you don't have expectations in terms of how things will go especially when it's something that's out of your control yeah um, then you can't be let down or disappointed and the last mm-hmm. thing I wanted on such a big day like that was to be disappointed yeah. <laughs> with anything because I had a different expectation mm-hmm. Um and so that's kind of how I went into it. I, I will say there are a lot of people that were telling me what was going to happen or supposed to happen or all these things. But I definitely didn't go in with the expectation of anything. I think the one thing I had t- said to myself is it'd be nice to go somewhere other than Sky Blue just because I'm <laughs> from New Jersey. Yeah. And, so I was like, and it was only out of like wanting to grow as a person. Yeah, I exactly. get outside of my comfort zone type of thing, like having nothing to do with Sky Blue specifically. Mm-hmm. um so ironically when they called my name I was like of course that happened <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah but uh but it was I mean at the end of the day like it was still an amazing an amazing day in and of itself an amazing uh accomplishment um to be able to say that um and my time in general um I look back on that and while there was definitely some crazy times during those four years um I met some really special people um and again like I said uh I got to do those first two years with my best friend by my side um and I feel like not a lot like a lot of people can say they have a best friend I feel like not a lot of people can say they have a best friend that they've been best friends with since kindergarten that they also played in a world cup with and played at uh played professionally with <laughs> like I feel yeah, like that like, I think,
0: I feel that, like might, that be <laughs> <there> might be <laughs> I <think> a first that might <laughs> be a first and only I think I think you might be completely yes. unique in that regard Maya um. absolutely
1: so um to <laughs> so to be able to do that um with somebody by your side going through it all um it's I mean it's 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 amazing and to me like that's the best part about soccer for me like again I think the glory comes with everything um and and the success but um which I again super appreciative for but to me the part that matters the most out of all of it is all the relationships that I've built um Mm -hmm. with basically people from all walks of life (laughs) Um, and, and something that I truly cherish and love about this game and why I chose to stay in it, right, and in a mm-hmm. coaching capacity is because the relationships matter, um, and it's one of the, like, most unique environments to build those relationships. Um, and one of the most genuine, I think, environments as well.
0: You had mentioned your, you know, your air quotes preference was maybe not playing for Sky Blue and venturing out a little bit. Did it right. mean a little more, though, you know, when all was said and done, did it mean more at all, you know, being able to play close to home like that?
1: I, I will say in terms of, like, family, friends being able to come out and support, I think yes. Um, like, And I, I think even from the family perspective, they probably would have came regardless of mm-hmm. where I ended up. Um, but I think the friend support was pretty cool. Um, yeah. the, the amount of friends that I would get to come to any given game, whether they were just in town, home for the weekend, whatever it was. Um, I think that part was pretty cool, um, being kind of that like homegrown player because up until that point I I hadn't been like everybody always used to ask me, uh, why didn't you go to Rutgers? And I was like I wanted to get out, <laughs> like I wanted <laughs> yeah. I wanted to get out, um, and so yeah I I, I think I always kind of had that wanting to get away mentality, and then mm-hmm. getting to experience kind of that homegrown kind of kind of experience of things I don't know. It definitely was special.
0: Yeah, I mean, even Penn State—it's—it's a it's away a little bit, but I it's, not, it's not too far away. You know?
1: Right. So. so that and that was that was intentional as well because it yeah. definitely ironic. It came down to when I was choosing, it came down to Penn State and UCLA. Obviously, one is way closer than the other.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and for that part, it did come down to uh, uh the family support and just yeah. just recognizing that if I went to UCLA, while they would come out and they would, it would come to some games, it wouldn't be nearly close to the amount yeah. they'd be able to come to at Penn State and, and that was that was an important piece for me um, on top of just the connections that I had already felt with the coaching staff there
0: so played four seasons with Sky Blue right yep uh, no injuries regular selection whether it was in the starting 11 or off the bench but you decided to transition into coaching even though it seemed like you had a lot left in the tank from a playing standpoint so to speak uh, yep. what went into that decision and how difficult was it for you
1: it was really tough, honestly. Um, I think the 2017 team was one of my favorite teams um, because I felt like outside of our team, there was a lot going on within our organization, within the NBSL, just everything. Um, and we were that was probably one of the close closest teams we had. The those I probably say that and the runner up would probably be the 2016 team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was really hard not even ironically from the soccer piece of things because I knew whatever I did I was going to stay connected from the soccer piece like I knew that again getting into coaching it's still soccer involved and all those things but um, it was hard from the standpoint of leaving my teammates and Mm -hmm. and if I'm being honest um, like that was after that season going to the 2018 season is when a lot of the trades started to happen with Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that was the first year of salt lake city being in um yeah. and so some trades happened there and and a little a couple other places um but i think had the group stayed the same um it would have been monumentally harder <laughs> yeah. for me to for me to step away if I'm being honest what would you say that would have step- affected
0: your overall decision like to yes to i think I, I genuinely
1: think so i think it would yeah. have been monumentally harder to make the decision to to step away um because to your point there like physically there's there was nothing wrong with me. There is nothing (laughs) wrong with me. I'm not hiding anything. Um, it generally just came down to, uh, I knew that at the end of the day I wanted to get into coaching Mm -hmm. and I also knew that I wanted to get my master's and I knew that in terms of trying to put those two things together, a graduate assistant position was probably the easiest route in terms of being able to get it paid for, Mm -hmm. um, and getting able to do it in a really cool environment. Um, but I also knew that that meant that'd be about two more years before I was, Uh, making money coaching, right? Because you only get stipends in grad school. And so Mm -hmm. I I just kind of, I think that started to weigh on me a little bit more than it had in the past. Um, And that's really what it came down to, the the kind of eagerness to start the coaching career, but more so from the standpoint of getting, wanting to be uh, at a a financially stable part in my life sometime soon. (laughs) And I knew that unfortunately, the longer that I played, and just at that time we didn't have the league regulations in terms of um salary that they have now in terms of like the minimum salary being 20 grand it wasn't that before oh. um like like to put into perspective when i first got my first season well i was fortunate enough to be making what i was making um having being drafted um and in the first round um the the league minimum was about 7 grand um, and if you do the math over the course of what our season was at the time, which was about six months, that's about a thousand dollars a month before taxes are even taken. Yeah. Out, right. Um, and so you can kind of put that into perspective of what those paychecks actually started to look like for some of my teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and it grew very very incrementally uh, in, a, in a small <laughs> way over the the next few years. And so again, had to take that into account of where am I, where, where I, where am I right now? Um, and and where, where am I trying to get to? And unfortunately from a financial standpoint, um, it just mattered to me (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in terms of trying to build some stability. And, um, I knew it would take some sacrifice along the way in order to get there.
0: Who is your biggest role model from a coaching standpoint?
1: Uh, that's an easy one. (laughs) um, (laughs) I'll, I'll give it to them both because I I don't want first of all don't want to deal with uh, the the fight but um, also just they both have been equally uh, influential in their own ways to me but um, it'd be Erica Walsh now Erica Dombach um, mm-hmm. at Penn State head coach and then her associate head coach Ann Cook um, like hands down <laughs> like super yeah. easy for me to say that um, and, and like Obviously, and absolutely in the soccer piece, but even more so in just the 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 growth and the personal growth piece um, of just being genuine human human beings <laughs> and help mold me into the person that I am today.
0: How quickly after stepping on campus at Penn State, did you realize that you wanted to be a coach?
1: Um, I feel like I always knew in some capacity that I wanted to get into coaching. I don't think I knew where specifically um and I think it wasn't until my experience in my own collegiate career of getting to work with Ann and getting to work with Erica um kind of seeing where I I I could fit in and where I could uh be most influential and I think my experiences with them kind of solidified solidified for me in the sense of uh feeling like college soccer was I guess the best uh, best path for me um but I definitely didn't go into it thinking like knowing right off the bat where I wanted to coach. Like I, I knew I wanted to coach. I chose my major in kinesiology because I knew I wanted to coach and that was the closest thing we had to a coaching major at Penn state at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, it wasn't, I probably not until my collegiate career was it solidified.
0: What's your, what's your end goal when it comes to coaching? Is it college soccer? Is it NWSL? Is it national team? Kind of where do you, when, when you see yourself in five, 10 years from a coaching perspective, where are you?
1: um as I'm talking right now I think it'll be collegiate soccer um Mm -hmm. maybe not always as an assistant maybe as an associate head coach fun fact at least as of right now I don't want to pigeonhole myself as of right now talking to you I do not have aspirations of being a head coach um uh I enjoy the assistant coach piece um but potentially associate head coach one day um and getting to work in in partnership with somebody but as of right now, I think collegiate soccer, um, but you, you never know where things go.
0: Yeah, things can change, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's talk about the current state of the NWSL and, and the Challenge Cup. Um, are you still a fan of Sky Blue being from New Jersey and being an alum of the team? Uh, and were you polling for them specifically in this tournament? Or are you more of a, an unbiased NWSL viewer at this point in time?
1: Uh, I definitely think unbiased, okay. <laughs> um, and I think that's a lot has a lot to do with um, a lot of my teammates now being across multiple teams, and mm-hmm. so again having all those close relationships um, uh, with with various teammates and, and them being all over the place, I think it's a little safer <laughs> for me to go yeah. the unbiased route um, and just kind of uh, cheer for for the people rather than uh, the specific clubs. Uh, I think there'll always be obviously like a natural. Sp- a special place in my heart for Sky Blue. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of what they did in the Challenge Cup this year. Um, And just really, in general, really proud to see some of the changes going on around that club. Um, But, yeah, probably an unbiased route. (laughs) Uh,
0: Obviously, I'm not as knowledgeable as you when it comes to, like, tactics and X's and O's of the games and stuff. But, (laughs) But from my perspective, I thought the Challenge Cup overall was a lot of fun. I thought all the games seemed to be well played, and I was really impressed with how sharp the teams were right out of the gate. With what you were able to see from the Challenge Cup, did you see the same thing? And what were your overall impressions of the tournament itself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the tournament and the, the Cup itself accomplished what they wanted to accomplish in terms of um, getting some games, getting some national attention. Um, and at the end of the day, like just having the being being able to have the players and enjoy that environment. I, I'm sure it was hard. I know it was hard um, being mm-hmm. in that bubble for a month or so, if not longer. Um, yeah but uh but yeah absolutely and i I think that's the that's the best thing about one of the best things about the nwsl whether it's a a bubble like the challenge cup or um it's a normal season is on any given day there's no gimme games and what i mean by that is you could have the top team in the league playing the bottom team in the league and it's still going to be a game right it's still Mm going to be an exciting match um and it's still going to be a battle um and so the different differentiating factors within teams it's not very much if I'm yeah. being honest. Um, and sometimes you look on paper and you're like, ah, oh, but they should win, but it's like, you can't ever count any team in the end out. Um, yeah. whereas I know across some other, some other leagues, there's a little bit more disparity, yeah. um, uh, in, in those, those top teams versus the rest of the league. And you kind of get some gimme games in there. So, hmm. um, it, it, the challenge cup, I feel like just emphasized, uh, the fact that, uh, no matter what, it can be exciting. Uh, um, no yeah. matter who's stepping on the field, and uh, I was happy that they were able to showcase that um, and and be successful with it. Right, being the first professional league to actually go back to work pretty much. Right, and and mm-hmm. really put on that put on that um, that show for everybody and and broadcast those games um, mm-hmm. and do it in the way that they did. I thought it was really cool to see.
0: The next three to four years are going to be massive for the league with the CBS TV deal being in full effect, you know, a 25% growth in in the league when it comes to racing Louisville next year, Uh, Angel City FC in 2022, Sacramento was just announced as another expansion club or just reported, I should say, as another expansion club. Uh, How excited are you as an alum of the league and, uh, you know, U.S. women's soccer overall to see this league expand and, and for what the future potentially holds?
1: I mean it's exactly what all of us who I feel like participated in those those struggle years is what we what we played for right mm-hmm. I think you can't say a single one of us was playing for the paycheck <laughs> yeah. because there wasn't much of one um, yeah. I think that that was that was it like and this is this is why because we knew um, the sacrifices that it, sacrifices that it would take to to really build something here to build something substantial to build something meaningful um for the kids that are coming up today and I think it's awesome that uh club players today actually have a professional league to look up to because mm-hmm. well I had that for maybe the tail end of my club career by the time I got to college it was gone right and then on the tail end of my college career is when the NWSL popped back up um obviously formerly known as WPS which is what I had for a little bit of high school um yeah. and so I think like that was that's why you do it so as an alum of that league um it it makes you proud obviously there's uh, plenty plenty of room for uh for growth in a lot of other areas um but I think it's also important to celebrate the little victories along the way so trying to keep things in perspective is uh definitely part of it but um yeah I'm, I'm super happy to see the growth in the direction the league is going
0: does it does it give you a little bit of like I don't want to say regret cuz that's a strong word but I can't think of a better I can't think of a better term right now. So, I'm just going to use the term like hindsight regret that that you're not part just Say
1: of, FOMO, say FOMO.
0: FOMO, there we go. I like FOMO. There we go. Does it give you any FOMO that you're not, you know, a, a direct part of this and, and not still in the league kind of experiencing all of this right now?
1: Um honestly no. I think I think I'd be I think I'd be remiss to say that I haven't had days where mm-hmm. it's like ah, I miss it, and not necessarily in the sense of like I miss being in the end of a cell, but I just miss playing soccer. Yeah, um, is some of the days that I've had, but overall, like it's actually it's been really. I think it took me by surprise the first couple of years of um, not missing it as much as at least mm-hmm. I. Th- I mean, when you think like I, I was, I guess, twenty six. Um, Yeah, about 26 when I stopped playing, when I decided to go back to school. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, again, in playing form, nothing was wrong with me. Um, And obviously, that's probably fairly young (laughs) to step away from the game um, when I did. But uh, I I think that it's – I don't know. It just – at that point i had been doing it for i guess i started i started playing when i was eight so what almost like 18 years yeah um and so you would think like your initial thought is like you're good like your everyday life is now changed drastically and you're yes you're going to regret it and you're going to miss it and i never had that moment i still have yet to really have like a string of moments or a string of days where it's like i made a made the wrong decision Mm -hmm. even with all of the change um that that's come um, I will say when I, when they first up the, uh, the minimum to 20 grand, I was like, oh man, I missed out on that.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but
1: <laughs> from, but from any other perspective, honestly, no. And, and to me, like, I think that just kind of goes to show that I was just ready for something new. Um, and again, I, I continue to say this, you never know, um, like mm-hmm. how I feel right now could change in who knows how long. Um, even in my position that I'm, where I'm at right now. But um, you never know. That's I think that's specifically why I've never said the words retired. <laughs> I always mm-hmm. say, like, step yeah. away and took time off. Yep. Um,
0: never say never, I right?
1: Wanna, yeah, because I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into that because I feel like retirement is so final. Um, yeah. And I've seen countless players that step away from the game for three, four years, and then all of a sudden they're <laughs> making a comeback, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm not saying that will be me, but uh, I, I do like to leave the door open. <laughs>
0: Do you have teams calling you at all, or people reaching out like, "Hey, anything about coming back, or anything like that"?
1: Uh, not in the last year, but I definitely think, and I'd say in those first two years, I had a couple, a few people reach out to me, whether it was uh, teammates on other teams that were like, "Hey, <laughs> where are you mm-hmm. at with things," or uh, yeah. former coaches that were that were uh, still in touch with other teams. Um, kind of had uh, people reach out in that that regard.
0: When I look at the NWSL, you know it's the premier women's soccer league in the most in, in the country with the most dominant women's national team, you know in mm-hmm. women's soccer history. Right, so I I see no reason why this league can't you know become the premier league of women's soccer. Right, mm-hmm. but but lately we've been seeing you know big moves or big reported moves abroad with Roosevelt mm-hmm. joining Manchester City, and now it's reported that Tobin Heath and Kristen Press are going to be uh, going to Manchester United. Um, can you give us some insight on how those decisions, uh, what goes into those de- decisions to potentially play abroad or or here in the states, and what could that potentially mean for the league for the foreseeable future?
1: I will say this: I think that a lot of the decisions you're seeing right now are twofold. They're one having to do with just the state of the country right now, mm-hmm. and I guess yeah. partially the state of the world, but state of the country with the pandemic going on and and the NHL kind of being kind of being in limbo in terms of. They kind of played the Challenge Cup, which was their meaningful games for the for the year, um, and kind of now being in this standpoint of like the Challenge Cup was so successful, um, mm-hmm. so wanting to get uh, the fans some more games um, before everything kind of finishes off in around October when it usually would. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you're seeing a lot of a lot of these national team players that, again, knowing things are kind of in limbo with what what the what the future of the NMSL, at least for the next couple of months, looks like, um, making decisions based off of that. And I think the other part is the Olympics, right? Yeah. Um, have it, having been postponed to, to next summer, um, I think they're trying to get meaningful games in, right? Yeah. So even in the state that the Cell is in right now, in terms of I think they're talking about maybe doing some exhibition yeah. games um, to finish things off, uh, still like the state of our country right now, Um yeah. We don't know what that means for national team camps. Yeah. Um, it, are those allowed? Is there going to be protocol that they need to go through, go through um, in order to have those camps? Oh, like, There's a lot of questions that I think people don't really consider. So even mm-hmm. if they were to stay for the few national team games, it's like after October, well, then what? Yeah, what do they do? <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think they look at these European clubs as maybe an avenue to get some, some high-level games in for a more consistent period of time um, than they've been there guaranteed right now. Um, I think they also have to take into account like the way mm-hmm. that national team kept cap- contracts are set up. Like their part of their contract is to stay in the NWSL. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're allowed, I think I want to say one year or one season or something like that to play overseas. Um, and mm-hmm. it's usually around, um, it's usually around uh, those those playing, year, playing years in terms of like a World Cup or an Olympic year. And I think, mm-hmm. again, this the pandemic kind of messes everything up a yeah. little bit. So I think that's another thing having to take into account. But I do think the biggest part is, uh, is the pandemic, the, I guess, the part of not being guaranteed games um, and just trying to get games in, uh, assuming that there's an Olympics still next summer um, and, and trying to get cons- a consistent amount of games. And I think, I really think it comes down to that. Um, in terms of the state of the individual because of it I think that um, to me I, I don't know if there's a reason to worry um, yeah. especially if you take into account if there is an Olympics next summer you're, it will be without a lot of those players <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think it just gives the the players that the non-national team players a chance to to step up to yeah. get minutes to get games to get touches whatever it is um, mm. it gets it, it gets it gives them that chance it also gives Um, the fans a chance to get to know them right outside of the national team players. So I I don't really look at it as a bad thing. Um, It's just, I guess the way in which it is uh, this time is used, how it's valued. um, And obviously, hopefully that's in a positive way.
0: I mean, you have already seen the, you know, the depth, I guess, of U.S. women's soccer show up in the Challenge Cup. I mean, the Houston Dash have no U.S. women's national team players on their squad, and they won the whole thing. So uh, definitely, I think 2021, like you said, will be a big year for that momentum to kind of continue in terms of showing the world that, hey, we're not just the U.S. women's national team. Like, U.S. women's soccer as a whole, even when you factor out the players on the national team, is is pretty strong, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I mean, um, you also have to take into account even the players that are leaving are players that, like haven't really left before outside of Chris Kristen Press and Preston and Tobin. Um, these aren't players that have necessarily gone overseas before too. So mm-hmm. it's kind of them trying to capitalize on that opportunity as well. Again, I don't Definitely. see it as a terrible thing. I think it's just, again, them trying to get consistent games in better themselves and prepare themselves, put themselves in the best way for uh, for the Olympics next summer. Again, fingers crossed that it happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, same here. Uh, Do you ever consider playing overseas personally?
1: Oh, uh, yes, actually. I think what the decision that it came down to for me was uh by the time I got in the league, um it was like my first season, i think our our season was about six months long, and then every season after that it got progressively longer, so it meant we were by the time I was uh in my second, third, fourth year, our season was at about seven eight months um and for me, it just it was the realization of that means if I go overseas I'm playing pretty much full year round and it's one thing to do that when you're like 15 16 17 at the club level (laughs) when you're playing multiple games in a day but obviously your body changes um and the the higher level you're playing obviously more of an impact it's going to have and so I commend the players that are able to play year round in terms of the way it takes a toll on your body um but I think I was just concerned more so about the fact of uh the impact of injury if I'm being yeah. honest and not necessarily from going overseas right after playing an NWSL season, but playing an NWSL season going overseas for those four months or whatever it is, and then coming back and going straight into another NWSL season, yeah. what that looks like, especially knowing how grueling the NWSL season can be.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the big tens decision. A lot of the spotlight has been on how this affects American football. You know, college football is kind of king when it comes to college sports in, in America. So that's what a lot of the spotlight has been on. And in that process, you know, they announced a schedule. And then two days later, you know, they decided to postpone everything to the spring. Um, as far as what this has looked like for women's soccer, did you have any indication that this was coming? Or, and how prepared were you guys to have a fall season before the news came down?
1: I mean I think for us to the as a coaching staff to the players it was super important to have them prepare like we were going right like we we didn't want we definitely didn't want the opposite (laughs) Uh, and to be surprised Um, and and I think for just the morale I think that was the best thing. I think there was a lot of rumors surrounding everything I I can tell you that we absolutely went into preseason in terms of the way that we scheduled the, the way that we talked think the ideas that we were coming up with for sessions, it mm-hmm. was around having a season. Mm-hmm. And while that season might've been postponed for because we went to a conference only schedule and we weren't gonna start until maybe the first or second weekend in September, like that is what we had planned for. Um, mm-hmm. So we, from that standpoint, I can't tell you, like I can't say we had any inside knowledge that it definitely wasn't gonna happen. We were just under the impression that it would have been a conference only schedule and only in that last week or so, did the conversation start to change a little bit. Um, it wasn't even I can't even say we had inside knowledge even then it was more so we were just seeing uh the kind of the repercussions of those conversations taking place in terms of us being maybe told to go go a little bit lighter or whatever it has whatever it was uh, out of of some safety protocol but that was the only change that we were seeing um and so uh we we definitely had some conversations as a team just to make sure that we were checking in with the players because obviously again rumors were swirling for a substantial amount of time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: across many conferences and across, and obviously, soccer world is small. Everybody's friends with everybody and you know people all over the place. So the conversation seemed to be different all over the place. So just trying to meet the team where they were at and just kind of understand where their heads were at. Um, sure. I had to connect the girls. They came in fit, they came in ready to go. Um, and I think that is what made things hard. I don't think it was necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, being mad at the big 10 or like, I think everybody understands the safety protocol of it all. Um, I think what made it hard was that they did the work that they yeah. put in the world. They came in super prepared and they were ready for a season. And to be fair, things have gone. We, we, we've asked that everything that we've asked them to do, they've done really right. Right. They, mm-hmm. they, they've done it to the best of their abilities. And um, that was kind of the stinger, I guess, so to speak is knowing that we have done everything right from a soccer perspective, from an everything else perspective in terms of all the protocols and things that we're asking them to do on a daily basis. Like we're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids here, right? So um, obviously in in college, so we know what that was like for us. (laughs) Um, And Mm -hmm. and so to ask them to do the things that they've been doing, um, it takes a toll. And so we've been very grateful and gracious for uh, the way that they've conducted themselves. And again, I think that's what made it hard is that they had done everything right. And we hadn't had any instances and all those things, but, having to take into account the bigger picture of things is, is obviously what the big 10 had to do. So, um, we understand it. Um, but obviously it doesn't mean it, it, it hurts any less.
0: So what happens now? Um, you know, do you have any plans for the fall and in terms of what you guys are going to do, kind of what does that look like?
1: We're going to use it to prepare. I mean, as of right now, we, we, we are looking forward to a season in the spring. Um, that's the last word we got. <laughs> um, and so that's what we're going to go with and we've kind of looked at it as, uh, Obviously, it's a, it's a big chunk of time, but to basically come in every day with, with the intention of getting better, um, can we can we hold the standard each day and raise the standard each day um, mm. to prepare ourselves to be in the best place possible come spring? Uh, and we, again, we don't we don't know what that looks like um, from mm. any perspective. If I'm yeah. being honest, um, and all we knew, all we know is that we can control. The only thing we can control is what we can control, yeah. uh, and and that is the things that we do on a daily basis once we step across the white lines. Um, and so that's what we've kind of continued to preach to them um, from a mentality perspective. And uh, that'll, that'll be the outlook going forward as well.
0: Any indication on what that spring season is going to look like logistically timeline, anything like that?
1: Honestly, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I wish I,
1: I, wish I had more answer, answers for you, but uh, no, we, we, we probably know just as much as you know right now. Um, okay. But I, I, I will say that it hasn't, that hasn't much been our focus. Um, it's been more so on again the things that we can tr- control and and making sure we uh, we prepare ourselves in the best way possible so that we can be successful
0: come springtime. So once play does get going, uh, whether that be in the spring or later in twenty twenty one, actually depending on whether it's in the spring or later in twenty twenty one, eventually you guys will have an in state Division one rival for the first time in uh, ever, I think, uh, sure. with St Thomas's jump uh, in the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two year. Um, you've played in the big 10, you've coached in the SEC, you've experienced firsthand how important these, you know, in-state regional non-conference rivalries can be, you know, when you heard the news that St. Thomas is going to be making that jump, what was your reaction and does that make you excited at all for any, you know, potential, you know, having that type of potential rivalry, uh, with St. Thomas giving you kind of a Minnesota counterpart, so to speak in soccer?
1: Yeah, I think I, if I've learned anything, I've learned that, um, that you can't make rivalries artificial right? Yeah. So like, so it has to be genuine. Um, and so I think it's one of those things that I'm, I'm sure we'll play one another um, mm-hmm. at one point or another. <laughs> yeah. um, and and depending on how that game goes, and I'm sure there'll be some emotion. Maybe it's uh, just people um, close, obviously that come from, that are from Minnesota that are on our team. Maybe they have close mm-hmm. relations to somebody at, at St. Thomas, however the situation arises. But I do know that it will be something that needs to be genuine. Um, Mm -hmm. and so looking forward to it, I can speak, I can speak, uh, from my own situation. Um, yes, rivalries are definitely the games that you look forward to probably more than most. Um, and so I'd I'd love just from the standpoint of it being them being in our backyard, I'd, I'd love for that to be something that, that, uh, that arises. Um, I can't say we will, um, automatically put a stamp on it that they're yeah. gonna be in um, yeah. but if it's something that happens I'm sure both teams will be better for it um, and, and I'd say we'd look forward to that but uh, I, I think that um, anytime that you can you can play somebody close to home I think there's some natural emotions that can be involved so it'd be really mm-hmm. cool to see if it did if it did happen
0: how does it feel to have a, a, I guess, off the field, uh, in-state rival when it comes to recruiting now? As somebody who's going to potentially be competing with St. Thomas for for some players, how does that, how does that, uh, you know, maybe change your perspective on the recruiting, or, or how does that affect kind of how you look at that process?
1: I mean, I, I think honestly, no different than than you would with all the teams in the Big Ten, especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about the Wisconsins and the. The Indiana's in the area, and the Illinois, and like right, we're all super close, right? So I think it's almost no different than, um, than, than that. Like, I think naturally because the Big Ten is so competitive, um, and because of where we're all kind of, at least with some of us, especially like Nebraska and stuff like that, where some of us are located, we're automatically in close quarters and automatically end up recruiting some of the same kids. So I, I think. It's, all, it's very similar to what we already deal with. It's just adding adding another one to the bunch, I guess, so to speak. But um, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we recruit the kids we do because they, they enjoy and believe in the values here at Minnesota um, and at U of M. So uh, I assume um, that that will be no different going forward. And if, if a kid truly believes in, in what we have here, um, then they'll make that decision, um, but yeah.
0: All right, Maya Hayes, Assistant University of Minnesota Women's Soccer Coach. She uh, played for Sky Blue FC for four years in the NWSL, an alum of the U.S. Women's Youth National Team. Maya, thank you so, so, so much for taking some time. I really do appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with however the, the season shakes out this year.
1: Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on.